This week on Geek Explained, with Joker War finally coming to Gotham City, we're counting down the top five duels between the Clown Prince of Crime and the Dark Knight. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about Joker War, the newest and brightest and at the same time darkest arc to come out of James Tynan IV's run on Batman. Has, uh, it's kicking off this week. It's been teased, it's been talked about, and now with uh, Punchline queued up, the return of Nightwing imminent, we are finally heading into the big finale for James Tynan IV's arc on Batman. Joker War promises to be the final confrontation between Batman and the Joker. Where have we heard that before? So this week, I'm talking about all the times that Batman and Joker have gone to war and my top five, my personal favorite of those confrontations. We also have this week's weekly review where we'll be covering the newest episode of Doom Patrol Season 2 and of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, we actually have a lot of news to talk about. I was really surprised that we had so much news, but we have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. I'm going to kick things off with miscellaneous news uh, because it's the one I want to talk about first. So uh, just miscellaneous news for me personally, um, I picked up Ghost of Tsushima. Um, I'm going to give my first impressions real quick. I love this game. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. It's fun. Um, I've put probably, God, probably around like five to ten hours in so far, and I am already just in love with this game. Uh, the combat's really nice. It does get a little repetitive, but as you start to figure out, you know, your parries and your um, your different stances, it's really inventive, and I really like it. Uh, the traversal is so much fun. The world is gorgeous. There's uh, little points of interest all over the place. There's no um, over map, which I really like, or... Um, uh, what's it called? A little radar. I don't know what it's called, but there's no like guiding thing. You have to pick up on uh, looking at the actual map as well as uh, context clues around you, like uh, a little yellow bird or specific landmarks. So I think that's really cool. I've been loving it so far, and I will continue to play it because it is so freaking good. Uh, moving on to comics news. Uh, Three, I think, pretty big pieces of news. Uh, we have our creative team announced for The Flash following the events of Joshua Williamson's uh, finish line, which is going to be his final arc on The Flash book. He is the 
only person, and I'm pretty sure this is right, he is the only writer from the beginning of Rebirth to still be on his book. I might be wrong, but I feel like that's right, at least for the big books of the Justice League people. Um, and it's it's interesting. Uh, the new creative team is going to be Kevin Shinnick writing and Clayton Henry on art. Uh, Clayton Henry, if you're not familiar with his art, it's a little bit uh, broader shoulders. Um, he's going to be doing the next arc upcoming in uh, Batman Superman. So if you want a taste of what he's going to be doing, uh, you can check out that book. And you should be checking out that book anyway because it's amazing. Uh, Kevin Shinnick, I'm not super familiar with. Um, I do know that he's written a few things here and there. He's never really been given like a big book. Mostly the stuff that I've seen him on or that I remember seeing him on were like annuals or one shots. So this is going to be kind of his proving ground to see what he does with a uh, with an ongoing series. Uh, big news coming out of the indie comics realm, and that is The Walking Dead, which wrapped up recently, is returning in full color that's right if you didn't know uh the walking dead comics originally created by robert kirkman uh were in all black and white there were little bits of color here and there mostly fan edits but the series as a whole wasn't black and white and uh Robert Kirkman basically announced that starting uh, later this year, the entire series is going to be reprinted in color, which I know for a lot of people is really exciting. And for a lot of people is like, no, you're messing with, you know, this classic piece of literature. So um, I think this is a good chance for people who either like the show or jumped onto the comics later to get some of the early issues now in color and i think this is awesome for new readers new fans who will be reading the comics run for the first time and then finally in comics news uh dc made a big announcement that tom king is getting another maxi series um tom king maxi series are now starting to become uh, a little bit more commonplace than i would like but I know that the schedule with uh, coronavirus and all of the uh, delays that it had on the uh, all the impacts that it had on the comics industry has kind of forced the hand for a lot of things to uh, shake up their schedule. Uh, Strange Adventures is still going. It's still in the early stages, and it has been fantastic so far. Uh, but Tom King, along with artist George Fornes, or Jorge Fornes, I mispronounced your name and I apologize, uh, is going to be tackling a character that a lot of people have a lot of opinions about. This is probably the most high-profile character that uh, Tom King is going to be uh, throwing his hat into when it comes to maxi series, with maybe the exception of Green Lantern and Omega Men and possibly Batcat, um, it's Rorschach. Rorschach from the Watchmen universe uh, is going to be getting a 12 issue maxi series helmed by Tom King and George Fornes. Um, I'm a huge fan of both of those creators. They work really, really well together. I'm not a huge fan of Rorschach. I have gone on record a couple times talking about how Rorschach gets this weird he has this weird like cult like following and I don't I don't get it I don't understand it um I think it was pretty clear that Alan Moore made the point that Rorschach is not a good person and not a good dude but the amount of people who kind of miss that and look at him as like oh he's like Batman but better um I'm sure they're excited about this news this is probably the first 
um, maxi series from Tom King that I don't have a whole lot of interest in. I don't know if I'll be picking it up. Um, they're going to need to do something to get me to really get invested in this. But I'm glad Tom King is continuing his work of, you know, making maxi series about sad boys. Um, I've been enjoying them so far. So we'll see exactly what he does with Rorschach. Moving into TV news, uh, we've got some exciting news and some not exciting news. I'm going to start off with the not exciting news. And that is that the Disney Plus Marvel TV shows WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier are possibly delayed. We don't know this for sure. We don't have um, exact confirmation, but the Disney Plus rollout for August has been published and Falcon and the Winter Soldier is not on it, which makes me... Speaking of sad boys, a very sad boy. Um, I was really looking forward to Falcon and Lunar Soldier. I knew it was kind of a pie-in-the-sky hope that it would still be released around my birthday. But... Um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier does seem to be delayed because they didn't finish filming before the coronavirus, uh, weighed or laid waste. There's the word laid waste to the film industry. Um, it's still kind of projected on Disney plus. If you go on there and you look up, you know, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the trailer that's on there is now projected for fall 2020. Um, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we get it before the end of the year, because that would um, that would make this whole year worth it, I think. Uh, maybe not. This year's been pretty bad. But uh, WandaVision has also, uh, is rumored to be delayed, even though it, I think everything's finished up for that when it comes to filming. Um, on the Disney Plus app, if you look on there, it still says winter of 2020, so probably like December, but... A lot of rumors are going around that uh, WandaVision won't be released until spring of next year, which would be unfortunate. So we'll see exactly what happens. Um, Black Widow is still kind of slated for later this year, but who knows at this point. Um, hopefully we get some more uh, information on that, and hopefully we get solid release dates for these shows. In more positive news, Hawkeye, another Disney Plus show that is in development, uh, has signed some directors. So, according to the press release here, and I'm reading this off of uh, CBR.com, Hawkeye has added three directors to its roster for the initial season of the show. Uh, Amber Finlayson and Kelly Katie Elwood will helm a block of episodes. They are collectively known as Bert and Bertie. Um, they're known for directing the uh, 2019 Amazon Prime video film Troop Zero. I'm not super familiar with their work, but it does seem like they are comedy focused. Joining them is Rice or Reese Thomas. Uh, he's known for directing uh, Saturday Night Live, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. So he is very much a comedy writers or comedy director excuse me um which i like i like that that uh jeremy renner is going to gonna get to show off his comedy chops he is a very funny dude and he can be very funny uh in the few moments that he's gotten to be very funny with hawkeye one of my favorite points with him is still in uh, age of ultron during the whole final battle where uh, Quicksilver basically talks shit to him and he starts just kind of like running to catch up with them because he's just a guy and he's like oh yeah I don't know what happened to him you know last I saw Ultron was you know breaking him over his knee it's really a shame and it's just <laughs> I just he's very funny and I think if he gets to show off his comedy chops it'll be it'll be nothing but good things uh, also in TV news uh, 
we got some more casting announcements for Invincible. For those of you who don't know, the Robert Kirkman Invincible comic is getting an animated series adaptation, which I still think is really, really exciting. Um, I believe, let me double check here, it is going to be on Amazon Prime, so that's really exciting. They're getting their uh, feet wet in the animated series uh, pool. Um I'm going to look here. Da, 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 da. It looks like uh, Carrie Payton, uh, King Ezekiel on uh, The Walking Dead, and numerous uh, cartoon and animated series credits uh, is going to be joining the series as Black Samson, and Zachary Quinto will be joining as Robot. Zazie Beetz is attached to play Amber Bennett. Uh, Mark Hamill will be playing Art, and Seth Rogen will be Alan the Alien. They join... Um, also, Walking Dead alum Stephen Yoon as uh, the titular character, Mark Grayson, as well as J.K. Simmons, who will be playing his father, known as Omni-Man. And I think that's really freaking awesome. I'm excited to see exactly what they do with this. I will profess that I have not fully read Invincible, though I... I want to get that read. It's a seminal comic book series, especially when you look at the talent involved. Um, like I said, Robert Kirkman creating the character along with Corey Walker and then Ryan Otley joining on and becoming, I think, probably the uh, better known artist on that series. It's a phenomenal book. I've read excerpts of it. I've read solo issues. It's fantastic. And I really want to get this read before the series comes out so that I will be on the up and up when it comes to this series. And then finally, in TV news, uh, for those of you who are Avatar The Last Airbender fans and have been waiting for Co Legend of Korra, the follow-up series, to join its, uh, its sister series on Netflix, Netflix has announced that The Legend of Korra will be coming to Netflix in full on August 14th. So I would say that's a pretty good substitute for uh, for a birthday uh, present for me instead of uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, though I would have preferred Falcon and Winter Soldier personally. Um, I love The Legend of Korra. I think it's a fantastic show and an absolutely uh, worthy successor to Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm excited to rewatch it all over again my birthday weekend. Should be a great time. Moving on finally to film news. Lots of news, like I said this week. Um, first off, uh, Tom Holland has officially, you know, announced that the Uncharted film has begun production. I, I just, I, I don't care about this movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those of you who are really excited about it. Um, I just don't think it's going to be a good movie. They've got uh, Tom Holland as a young Nathan Drake. They have Mark Wahlberg as Sully. I just, I don't see it. But we'll see what happens. They're officially filming uh, this past week, and that's what's going to happen. Um, we have some casting news as well for Dwayne the Rock, or Rock the Dwayne Johnson's uh, Black Adam movie, which is still in development. Uh, the... JSA has been said to be a big part of this, which makes me excited, and we now have proof that the JSA will make an appearance in some form or another because Adam Smasher, who is a founding member of the JSA, has been cast. Uh, Noah Centineo will be playing the uh, the smaller yet 
also larger character in the JSA. I pretty much just know of of uh, Noah Centineo from Netflix rom-com stuff, uh, Netflix YA uh, films, so I'm not really familiar with him as an actor, but I mean, it's it's he looks the part. He looks the part, so it was only a matter of time until he got cast as a superhero, I'm sure. Um, Adam Smasher's a cool character, and I think he will... Um, he should be really fun for any fight scenes that will involve Black Adam. So, looking forward to seeing more casting. Hoping we get some uh, more JSA members. That will, that will make me happy, personally. Um, in unfortunate news, Tenet, the latest Christopher Nolan film starring uh, John David Washington and Robert Pattinson has been delayed yet again. It was actually set to come out on my birthday, August 12th, uh, but it has now been indefinitely delayed. They are looking at um, making an announcement soon on a new release date, but who knows at this point? We'll see. Um, And then we got some big news when it comes to more uh, genre films. Tron 3 might be coming out. I love Tron. If you, anyone who knows me knows that I love Tron, both the first film as well as Tron Legacy. I will forever defend Tron Legacy. Um, And we got some announcements that uh, it is in development. They are working on it. They're trying to get Daft Punk back to do the soundtrack, just like they did in Tron Legacy, which I think is fantastic. And a name keeps floating around as attached, whether um, he's producing, starring in it, whatever. Uh, Jared Leto, which I think is a really strange choice. Um, I feel like anything I see Jared Leto in now is just a strange choice. I'm just like, what, what do you work? What do you work with? What is, what is, what would not be a strange choice for Jared Leto at this point? That is a question that I'm going to put out to you, dear listeners. Um, let me know what you would think would be a, um, a casting announcement that's like, Jared Leto as this, that you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't know, just Jared Leto is such a character at this point that I just, I don't know what he would feel right in, but I'm excited about Tron 3, big fan of that. And then finally, in film news, uh, one of the big pieces of uh, comic book films, of just films in general, is that the Snyder Cut is coming to HBO Max next year sometime. Um, And in an interview with Grace Randolph of Beyond the Trailer on YouTube, you can look that up uh, for the full, I think it's like 20 minutes uh, interview, Zack Snyder has confirmed that The Snyderverse, which he has affectionately coined as the uh, trilogy of Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and now uh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League, is officially non-canon. It is its own corner of the DCEU, its own corner of the DC uh, cinematic universe. He said that getting to tell a story across three films was his intention and that he wanted to make sure that the through line of all three films is there. And so he has effectively taken those three films and put them in a separate continuity from films like Wonder Woman, uh, Aquaman, and stuff like that. So I think, honestly, this is a good choice. I was talking about this on the podcast previously when it came to the Snyder Cut. I think that having him... Uh, have his own little like else worlds like this is world whatever and that's where these three films take place on I think is a great choice for all parties involved that way um, his vision is preserved for people who are fans of that vision um, 
and he can continue to build off of that vision for his own universe. And the other, you know, for people who are not fans of his vision, knowing that he is kind of playing with his own toys in his own sandbox over here, while the main uh, DC continuity is able to flourish on its own. Um, like I said, I think it's a win for all parties involved. Snyder, uh, Zack Snyder seems really confident, really excited about it. So um, I'm I'm happy about this too. I think, like I said, it's a good choice and it's going to make more people happy than it is going to make people um, more divided. I think having it be in its own separate universe, like the Nolan trilogy, like um, other films that have come out, you know, like Joker, all of it kind of being in the multiverse, but not the main continuity, I think makes uh, some of the choices that he makes a little bit easier to swallow for me personally. So um, that does it for this week's news. Like I said, a lot of news. I was not prepared for the amount of news we were going to get this week. But uh, we're now going to roll right on into speaking of Batman and the Joker into this week's main segment, the entree, if you will, which is my top five duels between the Joker and Batman. All the people I've murdered by letting you live. I never kept count. I did. It's a tale as old as time. Boy meets clown. Clown meets boy. They has fight. And they do it all over again in the morning. The Joker and Batman have been dueling for decades at this point. Over 80 years at this point, the two men have been going back and forth, back and forth, all over Gotham City. And this week... In comics, with Batman 95, James Tynan IV is promising that Joker War will be the final clash between these two unstoppable forces. And that got me thinking, you know, what other uh, Batman and Joker confrontations would, you know, kind of work as some of the best of all time? This... story is promising a lot. Joker War is promising to be not only a satisfying ending for uh, the Rebirth era of Batman, but also as a satisfying ending for Batman and the Joker. And I wanted to take the time this week to talk about my top five favorite clashes between Batman and the Joker. I will preface this by saying this is my personal list. It is subjective, and I would love to hear your list if you have a different list than mine um these are specifically i wanted to limit myself just to the comics because if we start to get into things like movies cartoons half of this is going to be about the animated series and so i decided to take just the comics and look at the best duels the best confrontations the best clashes between the unstoppable force and the immovable object and i'm going to talk about these comics with um 
light spoilers, I do want you to go out and read these. So if you've never read these comics before, I would say absolutely take the time to read them. Like I said, I'm going to be spoiling it just a little bit. I'm going to try and stay away from spoilers, but I will be talking about the synopsis of each book um, and just kind of talking about why I like it so much. So in the number five spot of clashes between Batman and the Joker, I have Batman The Dark Knight Returns, written and illustrated by Frank Miller alongside Klaus Janssen. Um, this kind of promised to be the last Batman Joker story, at least part of the book, um, was focused on that. And uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis and then we'll talk about it. Writer-artist Frank Miller completely reinvents the legend of Batman in, in this saga of a near-future Gotham City gone to rot, ten years after the Dark Knight's retirement. Forced to take action, the Dark Knight returns in a blaze of fury, taking on a whole new generation of criminals and matching their level of violence. He is soon joined by a new Robin, a girl named Carrie Kelly, who proves to be just as invaluable as her predecessors. Can Batman and Robin deal with the threat posed by their deadliest enemies, after years of incarceration have turned them into perfect psychopaths? And more important, can anyone survive the coming fallout from an undeclared war between the superpowers, or the clash of what were once the world's greatest heroes. So I am going to kind of put the Batman vs. Superman stuff on the back burner here and just kind of talk about the um, the first act of the book, per se. Or I guess technically, since this was originally like a three-issue thing, this would be act two. So um, this story, as many people know, it's one of the most famous Batman stories of all time. It reinvented the character um, and affected so many so many interpretations of Batman going from there all the way up to today. Um, this story between Batman and the Joker promised to kind of be the last Joker story, and we've gotten so many of those since then, including this upcoming Joker War. Um, this story is on the list purely because I think it does something that uh, we don't normally see with clashes between Batman and the Joker. Uh, and that's that this is the death of the Joker. Um, it's a lot less ambiguous than stories like The Killing Joke, which I will be right up front and say The Killing Joke is not on my list. I know, I know The Killing Joke is celebrated for a lot of people, but um, in rereads of it in recent years, it just hasn't really held up to me. Um, it's a great uh, origin story, it's a great Elseworlds tale, and the ambiguity of whether Batman kills the Joker or not I think is really interesting, but the story just doesn't hold up for me personally, so it's not on this list. Once again, completely subjective. Um, but what this story does is it shows the natural endpoint for the two of them, for Batman and the Joker. Uh, it starts off with Batman coming out of retirement to face down uh, Harvey Dent, Two-Face, as well as the mutants, and his return to Gotham City basically spurs the Joker, who has been in this catatonic state inside of Arkham, to reactivate, essentially, and go after Batman once again. Um, this has been referenced numerous times, this story has, on uh, all different kinds of media, whether it be the animated series adaptation, or the uh, animated film adaptation to other uh, films, to other comics, to even, you know, the most recent Joker film completely rips the, uh, the talk show segment 
right off. It really does. It is, it's, I think, a loving ripoff, but it's a ripoff nonetheless. Um, but what I love about this is the confrontation in the carnival, because at this point, um, the police are still not sure whether to trust Batman or not, uh, and Joker and Batman have this final confrontation in the Tunnel of Love, which has always, I've always really liked that. There's been this weird symbiosis love-hate relationship between Batman and the Joker, something that uh, writers, even uh, more recent modern writers, have really toyed with the idea that Batman and the Joker is this weird, like, messed up love story. And the two of them having this, like, really just down and dirty and gritty fight in the Tunnel of Love always was really stunning to me as a set piece. Um, the clip that you heard for the intro of this segment where uh, Batman basically says, you know, all the people I've murdered just by letting you live. And the Joker is like, I never kept count. And Batman says, I did. And that, I don't know, that's always really stuck with me when it comes to this story. Um, like I said, later on, I think the later parts with uh, involving Superman kind of fall apart for me with this story. But up until this point, it's super strong. And it really feels like a final confrontation between the two. Uh, the Joker is kind of this crazed version of himself while being adorned in this pristine white suit which is a great juxtaposition and a great look for him just in general and batman is this aged uh gasping for air like not near his prime version of himself and i really like that almost uh old man logan-esque approach to him i know that this came out long before old man logan did but i like seeing kind of the endpoints of these heroes where they go how much their uh crusade how much their lifestyle takes a toll on them physically emotionally and mentally and this final confrontation that happens in the tunnel of love i think is a pitch perfect ending for their for their story how the confrontation ends the uh, repercussions of this confrontation and how this story kind of carries along as a solo batman versus super batman versus superman there it is again uh batman versus joker story i think is really strong and for me if i had to choose between killing joke and the Dark Knight Returns, as you can tell uh, on this list, I chose The Dark Knight Returns. So that is my number five. At number four, we have another classic Batman story, and that is The Joker's Five-Way Revenge. Uh, this is by... Um, incredible Batman writer Denny O'Neill, who passed recently, along with artist Neil Adams. Uh, the two of them are known for reinvigorating and reinventing Batman just as much as Frank Miller did, uh, where they put a big focus on his detective work, on making him the world's greatest detective in the Caped Crusader. And this story is what brought back the Joker. Prior to this, uh, the Joker hadn't been seen in a Batman book for four years. Can can you imagine a Batman title in today's age not utilizing the Joker for four years? And prior to this, the Joker had been dealt mainly in uh, the Silver Age, where he was, you know, wacky Joker with a Joker copter and all this dumb, uh, silly Silver Age uh, trappings. This brought the Joker back to his uh, kind of uh, back-to-basics approach, where in the Golden Age, he was a straight-up psychopath. So let's go ahead and dive into this quick synopsis. 
The Joker has set himself free from the mental hospital for the criminally insane Batman had him incarcerated in, and he is out for blood. Before he was sent away, knowing that one member of his previous gang had ratted him out to the police, he had vowed to murder all five of them, and only the Batman is capable of stopping him. So this uh, series has this story uh, has also been referenced a lot. Uh, mainly, they combined this with the Laughing Fish uh, comic into what became the Laughing Fish. Uh, episode of Batman the Animated Series, which is still one of my favorite Batman stories of all time, with the Joker kind of going after people. Um, they're, like the title suggests, with the five-way revenge, Joker is going after the five previous gang members that supposedly had ratted him out to the police. Uh, this was also the first uh, real debut of Arkham Asylum as a construct. I don't believe it's named in this story. I'd have to look that up. Um, let me just double check here. Da, 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 da. Um, so no, so Arkham Asylum makes its first official appearance as Arkham Hospital in Batman 258, while this, uh, this story is in issues, uh, 250, this is in issue 251. So, um, seven issues later, it would get an official name, but this marked the first appearance of a hospital for the criminally insane that would feature and go on to be a huge part of the Batman mythos. The story also is just fantastic because it's a story where we really get to see the Joker at his most sadistic, going after the people who he, in his mind, who wronged him, and watching Batman kind of be caught up in the middle trying to save all five of these um, gang members is so good. This story also doesn't end the way you think it will um this story has a bunch of twists and turns at one point the joker seemingly wins and um just based on that fact we don't see a lot of stories where joker effectively wins over batman and i think for that reason for the fact that this is a story that was a big turning point for batman and the joker in their relationship this absolutely deserves its place on the list it's a it's just a fantastic story even though it came out in 19 73 it holds up incredibly well and i wouldn't mind seeing this adapted more often like i said the biggest adaptation for this has been in the batman the animated series which again just kind of blended this with the laughing fish um, or joker fish or whatever and i wouldn't mind seeing an actual adaptation of this with more modern trappings i think it would be really cool and this story with joker kind of going after uh people who um uh, basically, Batman has to save one by one. Also harkens back to his original story and another story that's on this list. So for those reasons, I think this is an absolutely great Batman story and is one of the best confrontations between Batman and the Joker. At number three here, we have a two-for-one special, and that is Batman Death of the Family slash Endgame. Uh, this is by the New 52 team of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, and this one's a two-for-one. Uh, it might be cheating here, and I recognize that, but the fact that this is a... Um, this is a, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. It's two parts of the same story, and the fact that it's the same writer and artist team that 
is basing it in the same continuity uh, and not that too far apart from each other. I just decided to put this all in one story. I was going back and forth on which one I like more, but they're both fantastic. And it's um, it's difficult to choose when you have two really good choices. And the fact that they're so interconnected with each other, I think, help to make it um, make it an easy choice for me to put them together. So I'll go ahead and do the synopses for both of them right here. For first, uh, Batman Death of the Family. One year ago, the Joker limped off the streets of Gotham, mutilated and scarred when someone had taken the pale white skin right off his face. But now, the Dark Knight's greatest foe has returned, but for once... Batman doesn't seem to be his target. Instead, the Joker turns his vile hatred towards Commissioner Gordon, Alfred, Robin, Nightwing, Batgirl, Red Hood, and Red Robin, the only family Bruce Wayne has left. The Clown Prince of Crime will unleash his most unpredictable, vicious, and psychotic assault ever on everyone Batman holds dear. Can Batman stop his arch-rival's most deranged assault ever, or will the cost of a deadly secret be a family member's life? I love this story. I think it's so fantastic, and this was really uh, the Joker's debut in this uh, New 52 world. Uh, prior to this, in the very first issue of Detective Comics, uh, the Joker's face was um, carved off by, I believe it was Dollmaker. Um, and then we didn't see him for a year. And that's something that, again, you could not see happening uh, in modern day comics. Like, as the status quo is right now, the Joker has once again kind of turned into this, you know, overplayed, like, oh, he pops up in every single Batman story now. But at this point, they actually, to their credit, they kept Joker away from Batman stories for an entire year. And this was his re-debut. This is the uh, Joker with, like, his belt, you know, he has his old face kind of belted and stapled onto his uh, onto his head. It's horrible. It's gruesome. It really leans into the horror aspects. And this turns Joker into a force of nature. And honestly, a um, right up there with any of the good, you know, slasher horror icons like Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, they really leaned into the horror roots here. The scene, the opening scene of the Joker basically raiding GCPD to get his face back is a pure horror scene. And I would love to see that, adapt, whether it's adapted in animation or on film, it would be incredible. Um, this is also the most deranged that the Joker has been in quite some time. This was part of the big... Um, Part of the big push to kind of reinvent and evolve the Joker in the same way that uh, Five Way Revenge did back in 1973. This one really turned Joker from, you know, this, you know, scheming, maniacal madman into like an unstoppable force of nature. And the fact that he went after every single member of the Bat family both got to expose some of the traumas of people he had affected in the past, like Barbara Gordon, like Jason Todd, and also bring in some characters who he didn't really get a whole lot of time with and really got to um, toy with, like Red Robin, like Damian Wayne. I love this story. It's a fantastic debut, re-debut, for the Joker in the New 52 story, and it pairs really well with its part two, which is Batman... Endgame. Let's go ahead and dive into that synopsis. 
Batman's greatest foe has returned for one last gag. But this time, not even the Joker is laughing. In their last encounter, the Dark Knight failed to live up to Joker's grand plans. So now, the Joker is deadly serious. The games are over, and everything is on the table. In their most intense physical showdown ever, nothing is sacred to the Joker. The Dark Knight's family, friends, allies, home base, and those he holds most dear, everyone is a target. The Clown Prince of Crime isn't staging a comedy. It's a dark tragedy. So Scott Snyder, when he was putting these together, he said that the uh, story, the balance of Death of the Family and um, Endgame was comedy and tragedy, love and hate. And it's, it's so good. Batman Endgame is one of my favorite Batman arcs of all time, um, and one of the best arcs from the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, New 52 run. Um, this, just like Joker War, promised that this would be the last confrontation between the two. And the ramifications following this, with my beloved super heavy arc in the uh, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo run, which I will do an episode on one day, I will talk about super heavy and how much I love it. Um... This story both wraps up everything that had preceded it and also opens the door for stories uh, following. This is a great kind of all-in-one kind of ramping up for the end of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's run, even though Super Heavy ended up being the real conclusion to their run. Um, this is a fantastic Batman and Joker story, and again, helps to evolve the Joker into a force of nature. Um, this one starts to toy with the idea of whether the Joker is not just a man who fell into a vat of acid, but really something else entirely, some spirit that has been haunting Gotham for centuries and i love the ambiguity of it they never answer it they never say yes or no um but i just i love all of the care and the attention that snyder Gopulo gave to the joker and his relationship with batman um death of the family was really about the joker and his love for batman forcing him to try and strip away his entire family so it could be back to when they first met when it was just Batman and Joker back in the uh, in the golden age of comics and this one builds upon that this one builds upon the relationship or lack thereof of the Bat family following the events of Death of the Family. And this really shows the uh, effects of that story on them, on Batman, and on the Joker. And I love the idea that the Joker did everything that he did in Death of the Family out of love for Batman, and because that didn't go the way he thought it would, he is now focused on ending Batman and everything he holds dear. Like I said, it's a great story that really focuses on the relationship between the two and how messed up it is, and for me, it's one of the best modern takes on the Batman and Joker relationship. So that is why it is at number three. At number two, one of my favorite Batman stories of all time when it comes to him and the Joker. It's Batman, the man who laughs. This is written by Ed Brubaker with art by Doug Monkey. Uh, this is essentially a modern retelling of the first Joker story, his debut in Gotham City and everything that happened with that. So let's go ahead and dive into that synopsis. 
a mysterious maniac is murdering prominent citizens of Gotham City, each time leaving a ghastly grin on the victims' faces. Batman soon tracks down the killer, the Joker. This volume gives readers new insight into the early encounters between Batman and the Joker that led the Clown Prince of Crime down the path to insanity. Witness the Batman's first encounter with the Joker. So this is just... Oh, I love this story so much. It was one of the first graphic novels I ever owned. Um, the creative team is an all-star Hall of Fame cast. Ed Brubaker, who is uh, the architect behind one of my favorite Batman and... No, not Batman. Captain America runs of all time. Pairs with Doug Monkey, whose haunting visuals is always a sight to see. They combine their talents to really tell an incredible retelling of the Joker's origin story and of his debut as a member and probably the most prominent member of Batman's Rogues Gallery. Uh, Ed Brubaker is famous for his um, crime and. Uh, political thriller style writing and he uses that to great effect here really turning this into a crime thriller uh and less of a comic booky story there are definitely aspects of it of course batman and joker but if you read uh batman year one by frank miller and david mazzucchelli and then made this your second read it matches up so well that you would be forgiven for thinking this isn't a part one and part two situation. Um, and that's honestly how I read the book. I just finished reading um, year one for the first time and I was looking for a next step. Uh, the book famously does end with Batman essentially, you know, convening with Commissioner Gordon about this new psychopath with a penchant for... Um, leaving joker cards so uh this really is a great companion piece to that this is batman and his world evolving showing him go from someone who is used to dealing with muggers and mobsters and jumping into this brand new world of clown-faced madmen and for me the horror aspect of doug monkey's art has always been a big selling point for me um Doug Monkey has made some of the most gruesome and haunting Batman uh, art that I have ever seen, and I love it so much. Um, and it's utilized so well here. The cover in itself, the Batman uh, Man Who Laughs cover, is haunting. Uh, the rictus grin that is on the Joker's face, some of the art that is in here is... It will sit with you for a little while, because it is just... It's hard to look at in certain points, and that's what's so great about Doug Monkey's art, is that he can evoke those kind of feelings. And that plays really well into Batman getting to know that, oh, shit, I'm not the only uh, creature of the night that is in Gotham anymore. There are new players in town, and they are going to make this incredibly difficult for me. So I really like this as a retelling of their first encounter. I think this is a great jumping on point if you're wanting to kind of go back to the roots of their relationship, their um, their rivalry, per se. Um, and it's a great story that I think is honestly timeless. There are certain uh, modern trappings because this book was... Um, 
what year did it come out? Uh, 2009. So this book is fairly modern, but it still feels timeless because of the subject matter, of the fact that it is adapting a story from back in the uh, back in the early days of Batman, 1939-1940. And I think it's honestly one of the best Batman Joker stories that you can find, bar none. But it is not my favorite Batman Joker story. Um, For those of you who know me, this might be an obvious choice. But for me, the Batman story that features the Joker that I love, the Batman Joker story that I will cherish, and the one that I think is the best example of their relationship is Batman White night i know you're probably sick of me talking about this book i've talked about it so many times on this podcast but i love it so much it's so good written and illustrated by sean gordon murphy this is in my opinion a modern instant classic this book when it came out immediately set itself apart from normal Batman Joker stories in that it recontextualizes and evolves their relationship. The Joker goes sane, essentially, and we get to see the ramifications of him tackling Batman in a way that we haven't seen him face off with Batman before. So let's go ahead and dive into that synopsis. The impossible has happened. The Joker has become a hero. The man, now known as Jack Napier, embarks on a quest to heal the city he once terrorized. After reconciling with his long-suffering partner, Harley Quinn, he sets in motion a carefully plotted campaign to discredit the one person whom he views as Gotham City's true enemy, Batman. His crusade exposes a decades-long history of corruption within the Gotham City Police Department and transforms Napier into a city councilman and civic hero. But when the sins of his past return to threaten everything that he has accomplished, the distinctions between savior and destroyer begin to break down for both the Joker and Batman alike, and with them, any hope for Gotham's future. I love this story. I love it so much. I've talked about it. I did a full episode on it. You can check it out. It was part of our uh, Joketober series from last year. And this story is so freaking good. Um, First of all, it is part of the Black Label line, though retroactively, which means it is set in its own continuity. And they are building a whole Murphyverse for Batman now, just based on how successful this book was. Uh, Like I said before, it does a great job at recontextualizing the relationship between Batman and Joker um, and almost flips it on his head making Joker the hero of the story and showing Batman to be a public menace and someone who has perpetuated all of the horrible corruption and um, uh, poverty and class lines that have permeated Gotham City Uh, this puts a big focus on social inequality this puts a big focus on the fact that you know Batman does most of his fighting in poor neighborhoods and all of the politics and um, a lot of complicated issues that we are looking at today in our society. You know, we live in a society. Um, That joke has been running into the ground so many times. But I really think that this this book does a great job re-examining the relationship of Batman and the Joker, how the two of them are almost symbiotic. They need each other to survive because, you know, when the Joker goes away and becomes someone who is actually trying to help Gotham, Batman essentially becomes public enemy number one. And we get to see the relationship between them, the relationship between Harley Quinn and the Joker, which is one of my favorite explanations 
explanations for the change between the classic Harley Quinn and the more modern, um, I can't think of a better word, sex pot Harley Quinn and the delineation between those two identities, I think is one of the greatest uh, tricks, the greatest uh, examples of sleight of hand that this book does that really helps build out the world. The art is stunning. It pulls together pieces uh, from every single piece of Batman uh, literature, adaptation, everything. The Tumblr shows up alongside the Batman the Animated Series Batmobile. Nightwing is clearly based off of the Animated Series version, but we see all of these new and classic elements of Batman, his mythos, his relationship with the Joker, given a fresh coat of paint and merged into this um, incredible world that Sean Gordon Murphy has built up. Um, I've been very clear how much I love this story, how much it's one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. And with every reread, I just love it more and I find new things to love about the book. Um, It does a great job not only telling a story about Batman and the Joker that could be seen as the final Batman Joker story, but at the same time, also building up the world and setting things as they were to tell more stories beyond this. And of course, we do know that we get a sequel, Curse of the White Knight. We're going to get stories about Nightwing, Batgirl, Harley Quinn to build out this world. And I'm assuming a third in the Murphyverse trilogy of Batman stories. I can't sing the praises of this book enough. It's a fantastic It's a fantastic story and a fantastic comic that really takes the relationship between Batman and the Joker, recontextualizes it, re-examines it, and makes it evolve. And I think that's something that each of these stories on their own do. Whether it's a past story, whether it's a uh, modern story, each of these stories on this list really evolve. Not just the Joker, not just Batman, but their... um, their confrontations, their relationship as a whole, Um, whether it's Dark Knight Returns and it being able to tell one last Batman Joker story and showing the effects that decades of violence and battling has shown on the both of them, whether it's the five-way revenge, Joker's five-way revenge, which brings the Joker back to his roots and shows the Batman that he's not just a clown prince of crime, he is a murderous psychopath, whether it's the complete, I think, Um, evolution of the Joker in Death of the Family slash Endgame, where they turned him not just from a clown-faced mobster, but into a force of nature that seems to be unkillable, regardless of how much you try to lock him up. Whether it's hearkening back to the origins, to the debut of the character in Batman the Man Who Laughs, taking this character and introducing him to Batman for the first time to retell that story and give new... um, New context to the two of them meeting for the first time and how their worlds would never be the same after that. Or whether it's Batman White Knight that really takes the relationship between what is a hero, what is a villain between the two, flips it on its head and puts them in situations that they would never experience if not for each other. The story between Batman and the Joker, their um, their battles across decades, across uh, 80 years of stories, you know, I know we've been talking about the comics, but Heath Ledger's Joker does really kind of say that he's like, you know, I think you and me are going to be doing this forever. And nothing could 
ever argue with that because they have been doing this battle for forever. And if we keep getting stories like this, uh, keep getting stories like Dark Knight Returns, like Five Way Revenge, like Death of the Family and Endgame, like Man Who Laughs, and like White Knight, alongside the brand new story of Joker War, which makes its debut this week. Go pick it up, Batman number 95. Um, they truly will be doing this forever. It is now time for the weekly review. This is a segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are going to be reviewing episode six of season two of Doom Patrol titled Space Patrol. Now this kind of builds off of last week's cliffhanger where um, Baby Doll, one of Jane's uh personalities accidentally kills one of Dorothy's uh, imaginary friends and so she utilizes the candle maker to make a wish and that results in the candle maker invading the underground and killing baby doll alongside the I don't know her name so I'm just call, gonna call her the human torch um, personality of Jane we've never seen this before and this picks up right after that uh, baby doll is dead as is the uh, human torch jane and dorothy is missing uh dorothy has run away after possibly killing part of jane and we get to kind of see the fallout here uh kind of paired up with that we get astronauts that show up they are the pioneers of the uncharted a completely blatant challengers of the unknown ripoff and i love it so much i love the fact that they ripped that off um it makes me wonder if they weren't able to use the challengers because something might be coming out soon um, or they might be developing something. I'm a big fan of the challengers of the unknown and I think they should get uh, more respect than they do. Um, but because of the astronauts landing after I think they said like 60 years or something, uh, Dorothy hijacks their spaceship and escapes into space. Um, the astronauts, the pioneers of the uncharted are um, three astronauts who worked with, Niles way back when and I mean they were they were fine but the one that I was really interested in was uh they called her Moscow but really her name is Valentina Vostok and if you are not familiar with that name uh Valentina Vostok was the second person to take on the negative man uh moniker in the comics though she was known as the negative woman as part of the uh, second iteration of the doom patrol if you haven't checked out our doom patrol episode go check it out i talk about her a little bit um i was really excited about that i have in my notes here it's like larry meets a kindred spirit ah spirit because negative spirit anyway um valentina and larry get to spend some time together kind of talking about like how the two of them both have a negative spirit inside of them how valentina has really come to um uh evolve their relationship and is in harmony with her negative spirit while larry is definitely not and we know this um so i liked getting to see the two of them interact i really like to see um larry kind of take the 
lessons that he learned with Valentina and hopefully utilize them going forward and evolve his relationship with his negative spirit. Um, meanwhile, Vic and Ronnie research her past and find out that some of her um, uh, her prosthetics, some of her uh, technology that she was using when she was part of the military was developed in conjunction with Star Labs and Niles Calder. So something's going on. They are producing weapons, and I'm really liking this route for the two of them. I'm really liking that Vic and Ronnie are learning more about each other's past. I like that we are starting to get more uh, more Silas. I'm always down for more Silas. Um, and I really like that they're recontextualizing Vic and giving him an arc, because it would be so easy to be like, oh, he learned his lesson uh, last season, and he's going to be the most well-adjusted. So I like that he's questioning while also starting to kind of find out what his uh, identity is and where he goes forward from this. Meanwhile, Rita finally gets to start rehearsals for her play. And I love this play because initially Rita thinks that it is Our Town, the classic um, play that has been done to death for decades at this point. But it is not the classic Our Town. It is Our Town, a write-up of the Cloverton incident from the first episode, showing when um, they tried to take a field trip and it went horribly wrong. I absolutely love this. I love that Rita did not know and that she had to basically sit with this um, this girl who is playing essentially her. Um, and it's all very Laramie Project style of people having firsthand accounts of what happened. It's fantastic. It's really fun. I hope we get more of this as a theater actor who um, has seen different productions of the Laramie Project and has had friends who have done productions of Laramie Project. I think it, it would be really cool to see this kind of evolve. Rita's already talking to one of her castmates about developing the character and making it a little bit more human. Um, so I can't wait to see where they go with this. And I'm really just, ah, the theater nerd in me is really excited about it. Um, Meanwhile, inside of the underground, uh, they hold a funeral for Baby Doll and the Human Torch. Uh, I know that's not what it is. I just, I can't remember the name of it at this time. Uh, Jane goes and visits Kay, uh, the original personality, the little girl who they are all basically were developed to protect, um, and decides that she is going to stop the funeral from happening they're basically going to toss baby doll and the human torch into the well where uh first primary miranda threw herself into but when jane tries to stop the funeral from happening miranda returns from inside the well and not only that she basically advises everyone like you're throwing them in the well, so they do. They throw Baby Doll and the Human Torch into the well. And then she takes control as primary once again. So I'm interested to see what they do with her. All we've gotten is flashbacks with um, uh, Jane being controlled by Miranda. Or I guess controlled isn't the word. But operated, I guess, by Miranda. And so we're going to get to see now Miranda be primary and see how that affects her relationship. Jane's relationship relationship with everyone else on the doom patrol um most of this episode was uh dedicated to cliff and niles looking for dorothy and in this episode cliff had my heart 
He really, he really did. He was my my totem in this episode. Specifically, he says a uh, a line to Niles when Niles is like, you know, Cliff is the one that finds Jane with her face, you know, covered in wax, and he's just like, Jane's dying. Like I don't know what's happening. And Niles is like, you know, we have to find Dorothy. We have to find Dorothy. And Niles go- or uh, Cliff goes, no one gives a shit about Dorothy. And I'm like, yeah, Cliff, yeah. I am I am definitely on team Jane and he even says it. He's like, you know, fuck team Dorothy. I'm team Jane. Um I love that. I love that Cliff in, you know, over the course of this whole series is both a scumbag and a just a huge teddy bear and I love it. Um but ultimately the two of them do head off into space to find Dorothy and there is this really touching moment where Cliff, you know, sits with Dorothy and kind of talks her back into coming home. Um, again, it's evolving Cliff into this character that it's showing that he can be a really good father when he wants to be. He's shown that with Jane. Now he's shown that with Dorothy. And it's just his, um, he's getting in the way of himself, which is, you know, we could say that about any character on this show. But I really liked the scene between him and Dorothy, even though Dorothy's kind of on my shit list right now for what she did to Jane. Um, ultimately, though, when Cliff does bring uh, Dorothy back into the ship, Niles says they're not going home, and he seemingly launches Cliff into space. So I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm assuming I don't want to. Um, I don't know exactly what happened, but I'm going to assume, just based on the preview for next week's episode, that he kind of launched Cliff into the atmosphere so that Cl- Cliff would crash land back on Earth, and then him and Dorothy are going to go somewhere. I'm not sure where they would go, but I'm really excited to see what happens. So next week's episode uh, is entitled, let me look this up here, give me a moment. It's entitled Dumb Patrol, uh, which is a fun little um uh, play off of Doom Patrol. But I'm excited to see where they go from here. The Candlemaker is still a threat, and we've seen that. He is utilizing more complete sentences, so he's gaining more control over Dorothy. Um, Niles is hoping, I guess, to prevent this by launching them into space. So we'll see exactly what happens. I'm, I've been loving this so far. It's been fantastic. Just as good as the first season, I think, and I really like the development that everyone's getting. I, I want more Larry, though. I want more Larry this episode really helped me in that I think Larry's one of the most compelling characters they're all compelling in their own way but I think Larry's one of the most compelling characters and the character that I'm kind of trying to follow the most so I would like to see more development with him going forward here and I think that we're going to get that with his interaction uh, with uh, Valentina so tune in next week for the next episode episode number seven for Doom Patrol season two but for now we're going to roll right on into this week's comics countdown Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into the comics for this week, we got to take a look back at last week with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And I'm not going to lie to you, I did not think that this was going to be the winner of the pick of the week when i went to the comic shop i picked up my comics i did not think this one was going to be the one that won the day for me but um i am happy to say that superman's pal jimmy olsen number 12 of 12 written by matt fraction with art 
by Steve Lieber, is our Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. I just, ah, oh man, I love this book. I love the simplicity of it. I love how it wraps up the story. I know that all last issues of a maxi series or limited series or whatever should do this, but not every issue does stick the landing like that. Um, the ending to this is just perfect. They finish off the uh, ongoing conspiracy. We get some resolution between uh, Jimmy and his brother Julian on the plot to end Jimmy's life. Uh, we get some resolution with him and Lex Luthor even. And the interesting um, revelation that I think they would be remiss if they don't include it in future Superman stories. Uh, the final page of this is just, it's gorgeous. And it's the final scene of this story and the final scene of the series as a whole is so perfect and so quintessential. It works so well as a story about the things that happen on the ground level while these world-ending um Adventures are going on to characters like Jimmy Olsen, like Lois Lane, etc., etc. It's just a great slice of life story, and I can't wait to read this all back together to see exactly how the story fits together and how it reads. It's just a fantastic book, and when they do end up collecting it, this is something you definitely need to pick up. But that's last week. Let's talk about this week. We got three books this week, just three, but three big books books this week so let's talk about them first up from the marvel side we have x-men fantastic four number four of four remember this book written by chip zadarsky with art by terry dodson this is the conclusion of the story that brings together marvel's first family and marvel's merry mutants and we get to finally get the resolution that we've been waiting for four months um there's no doubt that, of course, this was supposed to come up before, this was supposed to wrap up before uh, Empire, so there will be things, I think, that aren't really going to jive as well with the current state of the Marvel Universe, but I'm excited to read the conclusion of this and see what they do with it. So let's dive into the synopsis here. The exciting finale on an island of doom. The X-Men and Fantastic Four fight to save the future. Lines will be drawn in the sand and enemies will be made, upending the Marvel Universe. So I, like I said, I'm excited to see what they do with this. Introducing Doctor Doom into the story was the best decision they could have made. And I can't wait to see how Latveria and uh, Krakoa, how those two things are going to impact each other i just I, I really love this book chip zadarsky is knocking every single thing he works on out of the park right now terry dodson's art is stunning and i love this semi-isolated story bringing together the fantastic four and the x-men now over to the dc side the one dc book this week the one that i think if you are a dc fan is a must read a must buy it is batman number 95 written by james stein in the fourth art by george jimenez this is it this is the debut the part one of joker war that we've been hearing about for a while now and it is the inspiration behind the main segment of this week's episode and uh let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis it was always going to come to this the clown prince of crime and the dark knight detective go head to head for the last time the joker has never wanted to win before 
He's never wanted his battle with Batman to end. But now, his motivation has shifted. He has decided that one way or another, this will be the finer chapter of their story. Joker War begins here. So, yeah, this is, everything's queued up, everything's ready to go. Punchline has debuted. All of the Wayne funding has now been stripped from Bruce Wayne and been given to the Joker. And we are going to see the Joker tear down everything that Bruce Wayne holds near and dear. I can't wait to pick this up. Uh, Also, George Jimenez on art. Yes, please. I love this. I can't wait to pick this up. This is my big uh, DC pick. It's the only DC pick for me this week. And I think it's something that you need to be picking up for sure. Joker War starts here. You are going to want to read this. But the big book of the week for me, just barely eking out Joker War here. Um, It's neck and neck, but I love both these books so much. And I'm really excited to talk about this one. This is Daredevil... 21. Written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto. This is reuniting the initial team from the earlier arcs of this book to talk about what happens when Matt Murdock retakes up the mantle of Daredevil. I've been loving this book so much. Um, It's just, oh, it's so good. Uh, The art is gorgeous. The storytelling is fantastic. Chip Zdarsky, like I said, just A plus all around for everything that he works on. And Daredevil is kind of his prize jewel right now, and rightfully so. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Back in red. Truth or dare starts here. The battle may be over, but the war is far from finished. After the shocking events of Daredevil number 20, Chip Zdarsky reunites with Marco Cicchetto to begin the next chapter of their definitive Daredevil saga, Hell and Back. For weeks, Hell's Kitchen has been a lawless neighborhood thanks to the Stromwind siblings, but as the police are finally able to resume their patrols, they're quick to find that they aren't the only ones interested in keeping the kitchen safe. Meanwhile, as Matt Murdock continues to struggle with how best to appease his sense of justice after the events of the past several weeks, a familiar enemy takes root in Hell's Kitchen. So everything has been so good for the first 20 issues of this. Uh, Last issue concluded with Daredevil finally back and winning back Hell's Kitchen for now. Uh, the Stromwind siblings are kind of lauding over everything, or lording over everything. They are uh, the next step into ridding Hell's Kitchen of corruption and really taking Daredevil's uh, crime fighting to the next level. And now that him and Wilson might be, Wilson Fisk might be on the same page, we're going to see how the two of them are interacting and how they are going to move forward. I can't wait to pick up this book. It's, I've been waiting for the next chapter every single month. It's so, so long between the Daredevil issues but i am really excited to talk about this i'm really excited to read this i just i love daredevil he's fantastic um a recent contributor a special guest on the podcast matt draper um has always been a huge proponent shout out to him of daredevil and i have just he is him and his videos if you haven't checked out his december videos from last year have really reignited my passion for the character um i'm going back and i'm currently uh rereading the wade and samney run which still stands 
up to this point as my favorite run on Daredevil of all time, though the Chip Zdarsky run is going to give it a run for its money for sure. Um, Daredevil is going to just keep getting better. I can feel it. So that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have X-Man, Fantastic Four, number four of four, Batman, number 95, Joker War, part one, and of course, Daredevil, number 21. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast, first of all, thank you for listening to us. It re- I really appreciate it. Uh, and feel free to give us a subscription. Subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice. It really does help us out. And it also helps us out if you give us a rating and review. Specifically, if you give us a five-star review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read out your review live on the podcast. I've read out reviews, our two reviews so far from both uh, Seafire ND and Josh from Panels to Pixels. Shout out to both of them and big thanks to both of them for giving me the stellar reviews. I would love to read more so feel free to do that also if you would like to have any questions answered if you have any questions for me any recommendations for anything if you would like your question read out on the podcast as part of our explained mailbag feel free to email any questions or really just anything at all when it comes to uh, conversations about comics. I love talking about comics. That's why I made this podcast. But feel free to email those to geeksplained at gmail.com. I would love it also if you gave us a follow on uh, both Twitter and Instagram at geeksplainedpod. Um, and honestly, the reviews really just help us out. They get us... Um, up there in the charts on these podcasting platforms helps us with our visibility to new listeners and gets us into the orbit of listeners just like you. And honestly, like I'm really excited about what we talked about today. Feel free to let me know your thoughts, what your top five, uh, or even just your favorite Batman Joker confrontation would be. I would love to hear from you about that. Uh, they've had so many battles over the years, and it's it was really difficult to narrow it down to the top five. I left out really uh, popular choices like Killing Joke, like Brian Azzarello's um, Joker, stuff like that. Um, Batman Damned, I guess, technically kind of also falls into that um but these five are some of my favorite stories i'm sure you're tired of me talking about how much i love batman white knight but i couldn't help it i love that story so much and i think it's a great uh deconstruction of the batman and joker uh relationship so also i want to know what you think about joker war whenever you decide to pick it up if you decide to pick it up this week let me know um I love having conversations with you guys about comics that are coming out. Um, it's just, it's highlight of my week when I get an email or a notification, a DM, whatever, talking about stuff that we uh, covered on the podcast. So um, tune in next week. We're going to be uh, finishing up July. Man, July is almost over. Next week is the 29th. So um, that'll be our final episode for July. So um, tune in next week for another brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.